Yo, it's your man Chris Mallon, and you're listening to Heart of the Game. I'm proud to have as our guest today Ike Onyador, someone who has had to overcome a number of adversities, but never gave up sight of his dreams en route to becoming a professional soccer player and coach at the collegiate and youth levels. Ike, great to have you on the show. How you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me on here, buddy. Uh, Ike, you know, obviously I know you very well. I've known you for a long time going back to college, so it is a real honor for me to have you on my podcast. Uh, thank you for being part of this, and thank you for telling your story I think your story is a very unique one, so I'm excited to share that with people. Uh, what we're all about on Heart of the Game is sharing these great experiences that people have had in sports, uh, not necessarily what they have and experience on the field, but also the challenge and the grind that goes into it, a lot of the things that are often overlooked. Um, so one of the things that you shared with me is your story about trying to make it as a coach. Could you expand upon that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things it's it's not always an easy path trying trying to make it as a coach, and particularly when you're trying to make it as a coach full time and make a living off of it. Uh, there, there's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of challenges that you face. Number one being it, it's a relatively small market. There's only so many coaching jobs. There's only many. There's only so many coaching. Uh, environments that you can get into, whether it's professional, whether it's college, whether it's club, whether it's um, high school, what have you. There, there's a ton of, uh, of, well, I should say, it seems like there's a ton, but really the, every position is, is very competitive with people trying to, to have those as jobs. And so trying to be in a part of that and trying to do it to an extent where, again, you make a livable wage off of it. It is very difficult. Uh, more often than not, you, you find that you're not coaching one team or you're not in one position. You, you oftentimes have to put together a lot of them in, in order to find a way to make a livable wage. And that has its benefits and that has its detriments as well. So. Yeah, so a livable wage. That's one thing I guess a lot of people don't realize when they're coming out of college and they have this idea in their mind that, you know, I want to work in sports. You know, I worked in sports for a while, too. I worked in the NBA and as well as college athletics. So I, I can relate to what you're talking about there. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about what it means to have a livable wage, especially when you're starting off? What are some of those challenges that you face? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it depends a little bit on the, the lifestyle that you're trying to live. For, for somebody like myself, um, I, I don't need a, a really – a extravagant lifestyle. I want to be able to have my own place to live, have an apartment. If it's one bedroom, great. Two bedroom would be ideal. Um, be able to pay my bills, be able to save a little bit of money, and then be able to, to socially engage with my friends. For me, something like that is easy. So I want to be able to coach soccer, pay my bills, and then on the weekend, if uh, my buddies want to go get dinner at Outback Steakhouse, I want to be able to, to go and have a proper dinner at Outback, State, uh, Outback Steakhouse, maybe not just have uh, whatever's on the appetizer or, you know, like a, a box of wings and water while everybody's getting steak and shrimp. I, you know, yeah. I, I want to be able to do those things and not worry about it breaking the bank, not worry about, well, this may be the only real meal I get all week. Yeah. So a, a livable, having a livable wage 
it, for me, it's something like that. But you find that it's very difficult to even achieve that, particularly right. in sports. So um, I, I remember up. working at NC State's athletics department and living off of hot dogs and macaroni and cheese and grilled chicken and rice for a year. I mean, yeah. I lived off $40 for a week at the grocery store. So what is, take us through your grocery list. If you don't got a lot of money, you're back in those days where you're on the come up. What are you buying at the grocery store? So my, my grocery list pretty much consists of rice, some type of chicken, whether it's bought um, at, at the, the deli section, I guess you would call it, or, or if it's prepackaged. Um, and then maybe a couple of snacks, like animal crackers or, so, or some chips, or you know maybe a box of Tasty Cakes here or there. Um, but other than that, that's pretty much it. And you have to make that last cakes, uh, man. a couple of weeks at a time. Oof, that's, man. Yeah, it, it's, it's very thin. It's very thin. Um, it's very difficult to get fresh produce because that's expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, my fresh produce probably I would say was a, a bag of apples. That's pretty much it. Um, other oh, than man, that, living, I had to be very careful. The with there. Yeah. yeah. After that, you're very <laughs> careful with how much money you spend because I need to be able to put gas in my car to get to the next session to to be able to make money to afford these little things. It's mm-hmm. it, it's not easy, but. So what was a moment for you when you felt like, okay, I'm actually getting to a point where I can survive as a coach now? Was, was there a specific job or a specific moment for you where things started to click? Uh, yes, it's, it's kind of an interesting aspect of that. The, the way I would say it was, there was a time when I was working, I was living in New Jersey. Um, I was working obviously across the river, Pennsylvania, and I was coaching college high school, club, soccer, and working for a training company. Putting all four of those things together, I, I was able to make a livable wage and I was able to finally be able to do some of the things that I discussed earlier that I wanted to do. The, but the thing is, there's a trade-off to that. When, when you're working all four of those jobs, uh, which all have slightly different calendars, you, the things you sacrifice are consistent maybe weekend endeavors. I, I didn't have uh, a plethora of free weekends to go to concerts or to, to hang out with my friends or to go do adventures. Um, I pretty much got Christmas off, Thanksgiving off, and that's pretty much about it. Because if ever there was a time that one endeavor, for instance, let's say college season isn't in season, the, the training company is still going full tilt. Uh, if the training company is taking a break, club soccer, is in full swing. Those teams are still practicing and still playing games on weekends. So you you give up a lot of free time. You give up a lot of free time to be able to do just soccer as a living. Was there any of those jobs in particular that you liked better than the others? Was there one that stood out for you? I, I would say it would be a tie between the college job and the high school job, just because as a coach, when you're thinking about really getting to the high levels, then you're thinking about having a team that you work with, that you get to help influence their development of soccer players. And as a coach, you get to implement your ideas on how you see the game and how you want it to be played. And college and high school soccer gives you that environment where you work with the players 
on a consistent basis. You're doing it. It's basically five days a week between practices and games. Uh, college is actually closer to six days a week between practices and games. So to have that hands-on day-by-day exposure and those experiences, I would say those were my favorite. That Any type of that atmosphere, that's what I really enjoyed being a part of. And then talk to us a little bit about what it was like. You know, you got all that stuff that you're doing as far as coaching, but at the same time, you're trying to be a player. So you've got the different, you know, you're in the out there on the West Coast, right where you are now in the state of Washington, you're playing in a semi-pro league and you've got that going on at the same time. What was that like? So with where I'm at now, it's a little bit of a different scenario because where I'm at now, I all, it's kind of, I found the, a job that I really enjoy. I found a job that's given me what I wanted. I'm working one job for one club soccer organization uh, which I, I'm fully involved in, I'm fully invested in. Uh, I coach, I also work with, I coach three teams. I also work with the goalkeepers. And so that keeps me busy just about every day of the week. But again, it, it's within a very specific time frame. As far as the on-field goes, it, it's only, I would say, between 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. When it, between preparing for sessions and actually executing the sessions. And so with the, the semi-pro team, the beauty is a lot of us have full-time jobs. So those practices, particularly for the indoor team, are late, late at night. We practice 10 p.m. to midnight, and we only Oof. practice a couple of times a week. Uh, Mondays and Wednesdays was this past season. So What, what position did you play with late. that team? Uh, I'm a goalkeeper with that team. And that's uh, your Bellingham passion. United is the name of the team. Uh, it's, they have an indoor semi-pro team and an outdoor semi-pro team. I play on both teams. I play goalkeeper with both uh, teams. And that's your passion too, right? Like goalkeeper, if you had to play any position on the field, you're the goalie. Yes, that, that is my passion. I enjoy playing other positions, but particularly as the competitive level raises, that's where I, I find that I enjoy the most and can contribute the most is as a goalkeeper. So that is my passion. Coaching goalkeepers, playing goalkeepers, goalkeeping in and of itself is my passion. Okay, so besides you, who are the best U.S. goalkeepers of all time? <laughs> well, Top three. I, I, that's a, I know you're putting me on the spot. That's a tough question because the U.S. does a, a fantastic job of fantastic. Yeah. developing goalkeepers. Um, obviously, Tim Howard has had a long story career. He's been a joy to watch. Uh, he's been a personal inspiration of mine. Uh, I got to train with him one time in kind of an impromptu uh informal session which was just amazing to watch him work and watch him do what he does uh brad friedel has obviously been a fantastic goalkeeper casey keller tony miola and then there's up and coming goalkeepers that are showing really well i i think bill hamid is is on the way to becoming uh a, a u.s regular I yeah think, but do you um, feel like we're kind of in a glut right now for goalkeepers with the u.s like it seems like we went one after another after not like we rolled from one generation to the next to the next with like world-class goalkeeper oh absolutely absolutely i think the toughest thing which is a, a benefit as far as what contributes to the team but the toughest thing for goalkeepers uh, at the national team level is that you have probably close to if not world-class goalkeepers sitting on the bench just because only one goalkeeper can play so you you know, Brad Guzan is a perfect example of a goalkeeper that played in the Premier League and is a very capable uh, national, international goalkeeper. 
who hasn't played as much as he probably deserved to because he's in that same generation. He's in those same years as a Tim Howard. Um, I know as, uh, as what, the Brits would say that the U.S.'s greatest export ever is goalkeepers. <laughs> yep, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, nice, uh, like I said, the young ones coming in now. There's going to be a lot of a lot of goalkeepers fighting for time um, over the next coming years. Um, there's one right now. His name escapes me. Um, it's um, something Stefan. His name escapes me. But him and like a Bill Hamid and an Ethan Horvath. Uh, th- those guys are all going to be competing together uh, at the same time. They're all great goalkeepers. So it's it's that's the one thing we do well is goalkeeping. Okay, so if you could go out one night to party with one U.S. soccer player, or, or let, let's say let, – it can't just be one. Let, let's say, like, three U.S. soccer players. Oh. Which ones would you pick to be like, man, you know what? This is going to be the best night ever. These three guys, these are the guys I want to party with tonight. Oh, that, that's a good one. Um, I, I think you got to go Alexi Lawless. Just because but the way, yeah, the way he can have a conversation and can play devil's advocate, you're, you're always going to want to pick his brain about things. And I don't think you'll ever run out of things to talk about with him. And he's so got to be great be to have a drink with. He's got to be great to have a drink <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He's got to be one. I think Clint Dempsey has got to be the second for me personally. Nice. Because I, I think eventually him and I would just start freestyling against each other. We'll <laughs> just see how that goes. <laughs> um, so... There's a second. And then the third one I, I've got to say would actually be, ironically enough, I, I think Alex Morgan has got to be in the mix because she's shown with her Disney adventures that she can, uh, she can have a good time. So she, <laughs> she would have Bringing to in be. the Disney adventures. I love it. She just had a, a, a baby, too. I yeah, think. she did she have a baby. So she, that party might not happen within the next couple but uh congrats to alex morgan that's awesome yeah yeah i think alex morgan's got to be part of that mix i think she can i, I think she can roll with the best of them nice so that those those would be my three so another thing i wanted to talk about was i know that you have had some pretty significant injuries that's impacted your career yep and multiple times you've had that injury that's that's really tough for any athlete what did that do to you in your psyche emotionally and then physically recovery? How did you get past that? Absolutely. So the, the, uh, the biggest injury I've ever had was I dislocated my shoulder um, when I was a, a freshman in college. And the, uh, the problem with that was I didn't get it sorted surgically right away. So uh, after that first dislocation, it would just become easier and easier for my shoulder to remove out of the socket. So I, it took me another year, year and a half, I would say, before I finally had the first surgery on it. Uh, so I did the surgery on it, rehabbed it, uh, started playing again. Uh, and the, the beauty was I was, I, I thought that my athletic trainers and the staff did an excellent job with it. And I, I felt pretty good about it. And my, my coach worked me back in gradually. So I thought that that was a real benefit. So I was training. And then I would play 20 minutes here or there in the scrimmage. And then I played 45 minutes in the game, which went really well. And then the, the game that I was supposed to come back in and be the starter and finally start, I dislocated it again in the pregame warm-up. Um, 
And that was just mentally devastating. That's because brutal. it started to make me wonder if I was ever going to be able to play this position again. Um, so I had a second surgery. And you got uh, back. Really you were able to down. eventually play goalie again, eventually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that was the toughest part was I, I didn't know when you're that late. I'm in college. I, I wondered if I could make an impact and, and be a real player as a field player. Um, so that was very difficult. So I, you know, the goal was always to try to play as a goalkeeper. So I ended up having a second surgery, going through more rehab again, almost another nine months worth. Uh, and it wasn't until I graduated college until I could really get back into goalkeeping full time. But the mm-hmm. good news is, was the shoulder held. And that's when I started really trying to get on the path of trying to pursue summer professional and then a professional career as a player. So emotionally, that must have been kind of tough, too, because you always wanted to be a goalie and then you were moved from being a goalie to the field because of your injury. Yeah, it's it's 50 50. At one part, you, you get moved into the field and then you start to develop uh, an ability to play as a field player and then you start to be able to contribute. So that feels good. But at the same time, you never really feel or I should say myself personally, I never really felt like I could give everything that I had because it wasn't my natural position. As well mm-hmm. as, I, I think there's always going to be an aspect of you, you want to be appreciated and respected for what you could do. And I felt like I could never really have that because I wasn't in the best situation that I could be, which for me is being a goalkeeper, making the saves that I know I can make, um, contributing to the team in that aspect. So I felt like as a field player, I always gave everything and did my job, but I was, I was a role player, I was a squad player. Whereas I felt like as a goalkeeper, I could be an impact player, but I never really got that chance. So you miss out. You, you, you look back and you're a little bit upset that you missed out on having the chance to really be an impact player. Uh, particularly well, one of, the, one of the things to me that's really impressive about your story is that you had those injuries and you had these dreams and you never gave up. Like you never quit, man. No matter what was faced you, even if it was having this – difficulty with a livable wage or injuries that impact your college career you had this mindset that you were going to have this career in soccer no matter what and you do and that's yeah. a really impressive story I mean you yeah, talked it out um, you did what you had to do and you found a way yeah that I think that when you have a passion for something you you really you really don't have a choice especially because there are times where where people are telling you that you're not going to make it and that you should quit um, I was fortunate enough that every time I got close to, because it, it, it is a tough, it is a tough ride at times. There are going to be times, and there were times where I thought maybe I should move on to something else. I was fortunate enough, uh, and I was lucky enough that times where those thoughts started to creep in, I would have something happen on the coaching side or uh, on the playing side that really inspired me again and said, "Hey, there, I, I can't imagine leaving this behind. I can't imagine." Not having this experience so i've got to keep going i've got to keep pushing i've got to try to to make it uh in in what i want to do with soccer absolutely man that's really cool so talking about that what were some of those inspirations that drove you along the way to stay on the path to reaching your dreams so i would say the the one that sticks out to me i've got a i've got a i've got a coaching one and i've got a playing one the, the one that sticks out to me so far coaching-wise was I was living in North Carolina. Uh, I was coaching a soccer team. Um, 
my best friend, her name is Ashley. Uh, I got a chance to coach her little brother, Cole, um, in club soccer. There was one night where we're having a, I want to say it was a Friday evening practice right before a game on Saturday. And right after that practice, um, Cole stays after for about 15 minutes after practice. He's about 10, 11 years old. And I'm teaching him how to hit a bicycle kick, uh, something you know that's a, a difficult skill. But I'm trying to break it down into ways that he can execute it as a young player. So he's not having to dive all over the place, jump in the air, land on his back, that type of thing. So just teaching the mechanics about get your body shaped like this, drop like this, swing your leg like this, try to make contact on the ball. So we stayed about 15 to 20 minutes with that after practice. And his dad is there watching, and he's, he's having this opportunity to learn and to experience these things. Um, and he's the one that asked me to learn how to do it because he said he was nervous about it. So I taught him ways to do it where he didn't have to be nervous. Well, we play a game literally less than, I would say, about 14 hours later because um, that practice ended about 8, so he stays about 8.20, um, almost 8.30, and then we're playing a game, I think, at 10 a.m. the next day on that Saturday. And about 10 minutes into that match, Cole scores on a bicycle kick. So oh to, have that, yeah, to have that moment where you, you teach your kid something, especially something as advanced as a bicycle kick, something that that situation doesn't happen every day, doesn't happen in every game, and then to have that situation present himself and for him to execute it, not just execute the bicycle kick, but to score a goal on it. Yeah. Something like that, just to see the smile on his face, just to see how his family reacts and going wild. I, I'm pretty sure Ashley herself was on the field cheering uh, as a fan, which is, <laughs> shouldn't be on the field, but it happened. And to, to have that experience, that six with you as a coach to say, I was able to impact a player in this manner. That one really stays with me as a coach. Uh, on, the, on the playing side of things, and, and this is probably the biggest thing that could have happened, was as I finishing up um, playing with the, the Philadelphia Adams, the professional team I, I spent a little bit of time with, I got back into amateur soccer right before I moved out to Washington. Um, I'm playing with an over-30 team out of, out of just outside Philadelphia called United German Hungarian, called them UGH. So we're playing in the over-30 state final. And we go into penalty kicks. Uh, we tied 2-2 regulation. We go into penalty kicks. Uh, I get to take a penalty kick, which I score. And then I made the only save of the shootout to win the, the state cup for, oh, man. for UGH. Um, but that's not even the biggest thing. Because of this, we get the team gets to go on to the regional tournament. So we have a regional game, I want to say, two weekends later. Well, between that state, semi, or state final win and the regional game, this is when I've accepted the job with uh, Wacom Rangers, the club I work with now, and I'm moving out to Washington. So I initially thought that I was not going to play in that game. Well, that club came together, and they all chipped in, and they paid for a plane ticket back. So they flew me back from Washington to Philadelphia to play in that regional, uh, regional tournament game. And to have an amateur club do that for me is something that has yeah, that stayed with my heart. Good. And I've never forgotten. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that is unbelievable. That, uh, a bunch of guys that play soccer for fun. These guys pay. It's amateur. We pay to play for mm -hmm. that team. Um, and then they put additional money out of their own pocket to fly me back to play in that game. Um, 
just you, you, I, the big thing for me is it's hard to ever pay that back. So the big focus for me is I just try to pay it forward as much as I can in my life. And I know that you mentioned before when we were talking that some of the other inspirations for you was your head coach at Barton College, Coach Gary Hall, and then as well as your twin brother, Chidi. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gary Hall is the person that really believed in my coaching ability and, and did everything he could to give me opportunities to try to uh, achieve what I wanted to uh, in coaching with, with coaching at the collegiate level and, and coaching club soccer and just being involved with soccer from a coaching standpoint. Uh, his advice, his belief in me, his coaching of me when I played for him because he was also the, the men's coach at Martin College, um, that, that's something that has stayed with me. He's basically a mentor to me. Um, I, I've had others uh, that I, I could go through an endless list of, of coaches that have helped me in my career, uh, but, but Gary Hall really stands out for what he was able to, to instill in me and help motivate me in the opportunities that he gave me. Um, my twin brother, Chidi, is the other person that I would really say stands out because I think he's the one that is most believed uh, in, in me as somebody that wants to follow a dream, that has a dream, has a passion, and is going to pursue it and is not going to let anything stand in their way. And he's the one that initially made me realize that coaching was a passion and it was a lifestyle. At first, it was just something I did and that I enjoyed doing. But he was the one that first pointed out, man, when we were 12 years old, you were setting up leagues. And when we were 14, you were calling players on the phone, trying to get them to play for this team or that team. Uh, and so you've been doing coaching things uh, almost your whole life. He was the one that kind of reminded me of those things. That was a light bulb moment. Oh, wow, I did do those things. Maybe I am born to be a coach. Maybe I, I've enjoyed it and wanted to do it longer than even I realized. So, so those two individuals are people that have really stood out in my mind as people that have really helped, helped me pursue this and helped enjoy it and believed in me and what I try to do in the sport. Ike, your story is really impressive and I've really enjoyed hearing uh, everything today that, that you shared with us. Uh, before we close this out, soccer is known for incredible and often over-the-top celebrations after a goal. What yeah. is the wildest celebration that you've ever done on a soccer field? Oh, man, that's a, that is a great question. The wildest celebration that I've ever done. It's, um, you know, I seem to remember one, uh, for homecoming or was it like an alumni game? Uh, didn't you have a shirt that was underneath the Jersey? <laughs> That's right. Oh man. What did that shirt say? Yeah, I, that was, I did a shirt. Um, Oh, that's right. No, the shirt was – so this was back in the day when John Wall was big, and you had the John Wall dance, and you had all these people applying Wall this and Wall that. So I would say, for me, that was one of the more inventive ones that I had where I scored a goal in an alumni game and pulled off my shirt, and it said the alumni wall, and I sat there doing the John Wall thing uh, on the field, <laughs> ah, John Wall dance nice. with the shirt that said the alumni wall. Bro, I will That's never, right. for, I will never forget that dance, man. I remember clubs back then when that song came out, the, the John Wall dance. That was what was in. That was hot. Yeah, that was that was big. One of the biggest reasons for me that I love the, the John Wall dance and just 
watching him uh, as a player was because he's from North Carolina and he played at the University of Kentucky. And you and I went to college in North Carolina and then I went to grad school in Kentucky. So seeing another guy go from North Carolina to Kentucky for, for me kind of touched me a little bit. And I, I was really interested in him. And then he goes off and plays for what, the Wizards? <laughs> he, he, well, I think we're talking about a different John Wall there. I think the guy with the, yeah, but John Wall, yeah, the John Wall that played for the Wizards. Yeah, he he was from North Carolina and then to Kentucky. But the the guy, the John Wall that wrote the song, right? That's that's somebody else, right? That's that's a whole no. Different. I mean, he yeah, he had a he. I, I should say that it wasn't actually John Wall that did the song, but he had it. He made up his own little dance, or at least he had a dance that he started. You know using what? You're that, right. You're right. I, rem- popular, yeah. I do remember that. I do remember that. You're absolutely right, man. It's yep. been a while since we've seen John Wall. I know those are that's years ago, buddy. Yeah, man. All right. Well. Ike, thanks again. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. I'm really looking forward to sharing your story with everybody. Uh, And thank you so much for being on with us today. Hey, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. It's great great always catching up with you, man. Thank you for listening to Heart of the Game. That's all we got today with Ike on your door. Hit that subscribe button and be sure to check out new episodes as soon as they are released.